Welcome to another episode of At Home with Leaders, this new mini-series part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute. Uh, returning listeners, welcome back. New listeners, thanks for joining us. We hope the conversations on this podcast will attempt to uncover the smart people within high performance and sport and what they're thinking uh, and what they will be doing in the future while business is not usual. Alongside me once again is founder and CEO of Gaines Group and more importantly, friend and colleague, Mr. Steve Gearer. Steve, how are you and how was California this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, Cal- doing doing great out here in California. Um, all things considered, um, you know, weather's getting nicer, which is starting to bounce back uh, people's, uh, people's kind of spirits around here. Um, you know, when it comes to this crisis, we've seen some, uh, some, some pretty good signs at California um, is not for, for as large of a state as it is and for as many people that we have here. Um, it looks like, you know, right now we're, our leadership is doing a really solid job of, uh, of limiting the catastrophic effects of, uh, of, of COVID. Um, and, and so that brings me to like what's on my mind. What's on my mind is leadership. You know, leadership is on my mind right now because when I think about how people have kind of responded, reacted, um, to uh, to the current state of play, um, I, I'm really excited about talking with Sam and, and starting to dive into uh, some of the things that might be behind what's been successful so far, and then also where we kind of go from here. Absolutely. Well, hopefully, we'll have someone who knows a little bit about leadership because our guest today is a mainstay of the last two decades at the Wall Street Journal. But I know him better as the author of one of the books of the last few years, and that's that's Captain Class. So our guest today is Sam Walker. Sam. How and where are you today? Matt, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Um, I live in New York City full time. And a couple of weeks ago, things just kind of had unraveled to the point where uh, my family and I just fled. So we're out on the east end of Long Island, where it's much calmer uh, right now, uh, trying to figure out how to homeschool the kids and work and be productive and take care of everyone. And while checking in on, on friends and colleagues who've contracted this virus. So it's uh, Steve said earlier before we started that we're all kind of in a state of shock and, and grief in some ways. And, and I think that's what it's been like. I think there's a kind of numbness. We're just kind of putting one foot in front of the other at this point. But there's there's a great leadership story here. I agree. It's kind of like watching a slow motion train wreck, you know, just ever, on every level. I feel like there's uh, there's something to, to observe and to learn from. Absolutely. And how, how is working from home for you? What, what's your setup like? I, I presume working from home is not too unfamiliar, but, but how, how are you setting up these days? I'm really glad because in the last couple of years, I, I used to be in the office all the time and I, I write a column and, I, and I'm free. Uh, so I'm very used to working at home. I feel like I had a bit of a head start, but um, I was all set up in the city. But out here, you know, I've been assembling desks and cursing the people who came up with the instructions and <laughs> you know, trying to figure out the Wi-Fi and, you know, how to position it right so that everyone can do what they need to do. Now, you know, I have two kids and they're both doing online school. And, you know, my wife is working and, and we're just, you know, really, it's like a delicate ballet of, of trying to not get in each other's way and get what we need done. So it's, it's pretty, it's, it's chaotic, but boring at the same time. Uh, it's weird. I don't really know how to explain. I, I'm just glad that we're all safe and sound and we're certainly happy to do our part by staying home and, uh, and just waiting this thing out. But I wish I had the same uh, confidence. I mean, I think, I think our state level leadership has been pretty good, but um, 
there have been a lot of problems just here locally where we are, and, and then the national response, um, you know, I haven't I haven't been very impressed with. So, so let, let's 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 talk about leadership there, Sam. I mean, let's just dive kind of right into it, and um, you know, we, we can get back to some of the things and how you're spending your time and some of the things that you're working on here towards the end. You you've written some pieces recently in WSJ um, around leadership. Can you just stay with that for a second? Give us your kind of overall take on on what's happening and give us a few examples of people who have provided really good leadership um, in this environment, if you don't mind. Yeah. The thing that's fascinating to me is that, you know, this is the first moment I can remember. I mean, I think there was a little bit of time after 9-11 where people really started talking about leadership as a topic. Um, and it was, it was very much on the top of mind for a while, but you know, that crisis for, in the U S was uh, different in that, you know, the point for all of us was to get back to normal life, right? I mean, that was the, that was victory. That was that was our doing our part because you know the the terrorists were trying to upend our way of life, right? So we all kind of just let it go. We just went back and, and went back to our business and forgot and then stopped having that conversation prematurely. And we really haven't had it, you know, since until now. And suddenly it's on everyone's mind because I think we're seeing inside of us what we actually want from leadership. Um, we've been in this period of growth and expansion mostly, uh, and, and we haven't really been forced to confront what we really want from leadership until now. And it's really been fascinating and, and, and frightening to watch. I mean, the first thing that um, that struck me about this situation was people don't understand something basic, which I've tried to make this argument. I made it in the journal, and, and I think it's it's sometimes hard to make because people aren't really receptive to it. I think there's this perception that leadership is about really what you do in a crisis, you know, how you respond. Like we, we, we think about first responders. We think about people who you know, do heroic things under great pressure. And, and that is kind of our definition of, of what courageous leadership is. But what we've forgotten is that in most cases, you know, that's crisis management. Right. There's a difference between management and leadership. And I think in a crisis, you know, we want leaders who are good and they're doing the right things. But we forget that leadership is really by the purest definition is what you do when there is no crisis. It's what you do between the crises. It's what you it's what you do in terms of planning for the next one. You know, and, and there's an argument to be made that any crisis really is one on this level is really a failure of leadership because we weren't prepared. You know, a great leader would have prepared us. This never would have happened. And it's very hard for these great leaders to get credit they deserve because by definition, if they do their job well, nothing happens. Right. So we, we get lulled in this idea that nothing, not enough is going on. We're not taking enough risks. Not enough is happening. You know, and they're often blander people. They're, they're warriors. They're people who are behind the scenes, you know, thinking about contingencies as opposed to being uh, on social media or being, you know, a, a charismatic figure. So I think there's a lot of basic assumptions that we've, uh, we've made and things we've forgotten about what competent leadership really looks like. So along the way, you know, the, one of the other things I've I've noticed I, I wrote a column for the journal. I, I've been following different countries and their responses uh, and how the leaders there are operating. And there's a very clear pattern, which I wrote about, which is, you know, it's the deputies. It's these these people we've never heard of, 
you know, who are very competent, communicative people, but they're not flashy. You know, they're, they're not front and center kinds of people, but they, they speak very calmly and they tell the truth and they uh, have come armed with, with ideas and, and they're thoughtful and, you know, they, they answer questions in a very deliberate way and they give us information and, and they do it without a sense of ego. And one of my favorite favorites, I think my, my favorite leader in this whole crisis has been Jung Yoon Kyung, who is the director of the South Korean version of the Centers for Disease Control. And she uh, was a very unknown person, but she you know was running the daily briefings. And, you know, she is one of those characters. I mean, she just looks like your classic bureaucrat. You know, she's got no sort of charisma or affect or anything that it would make you think of her as a leader, but um, she quickly kind of had the whole country under her spell because she's just incredibly honest and, and knowledgeable. But the thing that was fascinating in her case was that you could see the effort wearing on her. I mean, her first briefing, she had a very crisp blazer and she had makeup on and her hair was, you know, done and dyed. She's an older, uh, older woman. And everyone, you know, she looked like a, a, a typical, you know, government official, right? But as the days wore on, you know, she put on this yellow medical jacket and she let her hair go and it started to turn gray and it got kind of unruly. And, and you could tell she was fatigued. Her color wasn't very good. So people started worrying about her. And on social media, they were all saying, is she okay? You know, is she going to be all right? They could see the effort that she was putting in on her. And then the response in South Korea, I think, is going to be a textbook pandemic response in many ways. I think what they did was was really commendable. And without a great lockdown, they really were able to flatten the curve quickly. And, you know, she's considered a hero now, a national hero. Even the president you know, of South Korea was was – talking about, you know, hoping she could keep up her strength and her spirits. And this is someone who no one would ever look at and think was a leader and no one had ever heard of before. And you see this everywhere. I mean, in the U.S., to some extent, we have Anthony Fauci, who's become this sort of, he's the head of infectious diseases in the U.S., and he's become, you know, the face of this. In the U.K., I think Jenny Harries has had this effect on people. The health minister in Kenya was kind of a washed out politician who is now considered the face of that response. And, and you see it in Taiwan, you see it in Singapore, you see these people who were forgotten kind of middle manager types who've been pulled out and, and put on, on stage. And, and suddenly those are the leaders that we look to. And I think that hopefully is teaching us a lesson about what leadership really looks like and, and how we've gotten it wrong. It's, it's interesting to me because I think like one of the things that people uh, potentially struggle with is, is, is the fact that like from my vantage point, you think about like you need frameworks and models to plan before crisis, right? And then you need right. contingency plans to handle crisis when they happen. But the problem is, is that frameworks and building frameworks and models and then spending a lot of time doing that is boring and it doesn't let you just follow your intuition and right. doesn't let you just kind of like go and, and then also like most most industries are so busy um, just kind of operating themselves that actually sitting back and thinking about pandemic planning and what do we do in the state of a pandemic. But like if you go back and you read over the last like 20 years, like there's plenty of literature saying that this was coming. Um, and there's plenty of studies that say this is coming. You know, we, we I mean, there's, there's a lot of evidence that we knew this was going to come. But like still, everyone did zero planning for the most part or the planning that was done. We're now some of it's being ignored. And it seems like in Korea, it seems like they're actually doing a pretty good job of actually following the playbook that that they wrote. So can you like tell us a little bit, you know, about like how do how do you right now kind of look at who's handling this aside from the people who are like communicating really, really well? Can you can you give us any examples of anyone you, that you see out there who's handling 
kind of like the the rebounds and the reboot at all, or at least talking about that? Or is it just still, do you think it's still too early um, to identify like, you know, how we're going to kind of bring ourselves out of this? Yeah, I think there are lots of examples, I think, of, of people who have done well in the crisis management phase of this. You know, I do make a distinction, though. I think I think the leadership phase was before, you know, it was who was preparing, you know, and thinking about this and who wasn't. Uh, and then the the next leadership phase is coming out and and the reemergence and the restart and, and how people manage that process, because that's a much longer game. And I think that uh, that's one of those moments where, you know, the, the thing about managing and leading in a crisis, it's really important and you need to be good at it. But you have to be able to switch gears and to take a more long term approach and to be able to to do those things that aren't sexy and that aren't. Um, necessarily popular um, in the times where there is no existential threat, and you need to be able to do both. And and I think that's that's what's coming. And you know, right now, I think some of the people that I think have handled this well. I mean, I, I know Mark Benioff at Salesforce, and and he, I think he's his business, of course, is completely perfect for this moment in that he talks about online commerce and he talks about retraining, and you know, it, it's a business that's software based and allows mobility. And I think there's a an opportunity for them in all of this. A lot of companies are going in that direction. Um, I think you know, I've watched what he's been doing, and I think it's been a good model for people. But uh, so there are people I think who've, who've done well. Again, you know, what happens in the reemergence and, and the restart? And I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I think we're getting close. I think, um, you know, the next few weeks, I think it's it's worth thinking about that. I think my next column for the journal will be about that topic, about getting started again. And I think the important thing that leaders should think about in the restart, I mean, it's going to be very complicated. It's it's going to be painful. It's going to be frustrating. And they're not going to be the resources that you need necessarily to make the changes you would like to make. But there is opportunity in it. I mean, there's there's a moment. And and I think a lot of things that were wrong with your, with your business and things that you didn't like and you wanted to change. I mean, this is kind of the moment to reassess. And I think um, after any period of great disruption, uh, the most important leadership phase is the next one. It's looking at what's now that all the everything has been, you know, all the China has been broken, right? So you need to look at the shards and think, what do we want to reassemble and what do we want to just leave? That's really the, the challenge ahead. I think the important thing to do, and, and one of the things I think we don't do enough, is to sit down and to try to tie all of it together. I mean, I think you need to start by saying, here's my vision of what we could be, you know, we come out of this. Uh, But then you think about your values and what you value as an organization and what you value personally and marry that to the vision. And then you need to really think about the methods and the the obstacles that are going to come your way, but also the, the measures of success. You know, how do you, how are you going to measure success in coming out of this crisis? Because I mean, you can't, you can't just say we're going to restore everything to normal. I mean, that's the that's the urge that people have, right? I mean, people think, you know, people are anxious and, and that we, we, as leaders, we want to address that anxiety, right? We want to address it. And we think the easiest way to do it is with this giant dose of normalcy, right? We want to bring normalcy back and make people feel comfortable again. But that's the wrong impulse. I mean, I, I just, the, the new normal is something that we don't understand. And I think a, a return to try to use the same measures and the same yardsticks that we used but in the past to define our success uh, need to be done away with. You know, we need to publicly bury those and come up with new ones. And 
know, I think about the sports world in particular. I mean, it's just impossible to imagine uh, what the group mentality will be, how many people are going to want to be in the stands, how many people are going to be much more comfortable following along, you know, remotely. And what that really means for the way we conduct business. And you know, that's that's a huge challenge. But I think the first thing we can do is to is to change the definition of what success looks like. Because it's not probably not gonna be, you know, selling out those stadiums, you know, every for every game. I mean, I, I don't think that's probably in the cards for, for most sports for a long time. Throwing back to what you said about the deputies there and the deputy leaders um, maybe that are making a real impact especially in these kind of public you know addresses um is that is that interesting to you from uh when you compare that to the research you did for for captain's class you know i know that some of the qualities that some of those best captains displayed were things like you know the willing the willingness to to do thank thankless jobs and uh, motivating others with non-verbal displays rather than big kind of motivational speeches is that is that quite telling to you that maybe some of those captains in your research are very similar in sport than to the political ones you're seeing up yeah, the no. nations now I, completely i mean i i sit here and think wow am i just drinking my own kool-aid you know because i probably <laughs> i have but i watch these people step forward and become these leaders that everyone is is craving and i'm like they just walked right out of that profile right i mean that, that's these are the people who've been there all along holding these organizations together and doing that that sort of unglamorous hard you know labor behind the scenes of leadership that no one appreciates and yeah, no, I, it's it's amazing. I mean, I, I I'm not surprised. I mean, I spent 12 years on this book, and and I kicked the tires on this pattern everywhere I could, and I really believe that it's absolutely true. But yeah, the the, the two qualities that I think that I talk about most when I talk to business groups or I talk to other kinds of groups. I mean, there are really two behaviors that will set you apart as a leader. And, you know, there are a lot of things that you can project, a lot of emotions you can project to to people, and many of them are contagious. But there are really only two that are uh, highly contagious, but also universally useful. And that's relentlessness and emotional control. I mean, those are the two things that, that, you, have to, uh, that you have to have. And I think if you want to be a great leader who is good in a crisis and also good you know, in, in a non-crisis situation, I mean, that's what you have to do. And that's what they've all projected. Relentless work ethic, just, you know, complete absorption in the task, selfless, not thinking about themselves, never thinking about themselves, always focused externally on, on the problem and on other people. And we don't see that from our political leadership at the moment in the U.S., but we see it from, you know, this, this sort of level of people that are actually addressing the crisis. And, you know, the other is, is that emotional control. You know, it's it's just you have to be composed and you have to be composed in every situation, no matter how bad the news is or how good the news is. You have to maintain a, the same sort of low emotional temperature. I mean, that's those are just the two things you have to do. And just doing those two things, I mean, just the number of people in public life that we look to in these situations who actually do those two things. I mean, it is a small list. You know, I, I think that's a great starting point. So, yeah, I've seen that. And, and that's what people respond to. Right. I mean, they respond to that dedication. All people want right now in, in the middle of this crisis, they want to turn on the television and they want to see that somebody is working on this. You know, someone is working hard. Uh, they're giving this a lot of thought. They're on the case, you know, and they're going to tell us the truth. They're going to level with us and they're not going to be emotional about it. 
you know, they're not going to telegraph anything that might be infectious, positive or negative. They're just going to give us the facts and they're going to go back to work. And that's that's why these deputies, uh, I think, have become these these heroes in people's minds, because they you know, they're doing their jobs and, and they're working hard and they're not letting the emotional environment around them affect them. And, you know, start there. I think that's the first thing you can do to improve your leadership. It's, it's a great point. I mean, I think like when you think about this is you're going to see a lot of leaders are created through chaos. You know, we when I was in the Marine Corps, we used to talk about that all the time. But it wasn't that they were created. It was just that they were all of a sudden surfaced and given agency to actually be who they are. Right. The environment changed and the context changed for, and allowed them to, to kind of go grab the reins and actually demonstrate who they were. And, and, and that was comforting to people and then people would follow them. Right. I, I think that I see that as being I, I see one of the unintended consequences of this shutdown and of covid of there is going to be a new breed of leadership across many industries. What are some of the other unintended consequences or second order effects that you're kind of thinking about right now that you think leaders should be thinking about? Wow, that's a great question. Um, yeah, there, there are so many. The world is, is changing in so many ways. Um, this is kind of the, the thing I'm, I'm working on now in my next piece for the for the journal. It's about the, the restart and how everything will be a little different. I think the personal qualities that I mentioned in leadership, I think we're kind of ready maybe for a period of time where, you know, charisma and, uh, you know, unpredictability and, and impulsiveness and all the things that we've sort of been drawn to in leadership, I think we're going to be a lot more suspicious of that. And I think uh, I think people who don't express those things will, will have a little bit of an advantage coming out of this. Um, but I think in terms of what we have to do, I mean, I think there's a there's a little bit of a uh, of a tendency now. I see it when I talk to a lot of CEOs and, and people that are working on this. You know, there's this sense that they, we've all been reminded how interconnected we are and how fragile our system is and how much one person's actions can affect everybody else. And you know, that interconnectedness, I think, is very tempting. I think we're all going to be thinking, well, you know, where does our business, where do we fit in the larger scheme and how can we change our our business and the way we work to sort of you know, address that interconnection that, that we see very clearly now? I think that's a mistake. I mean, I think the first thing that uh, the first assumption that that we need to change is that we need to uh, think in these broad global terms. I mean, I think that the most important thing you can do is to say to your organization, this is who we are and this is what we do, you know, and, and we have to continue to be who we are and do what we do. We're just going to have to do it in different circumstances. And uh, I think it's really important to uh, to remember that and to not get too far ahead and to, and to continue to, to think about you know, what our priorities are and what we're actually capable of doing. Beyond that, I think in a practical sense, I think just the way that we lead, uh, I think we have to, to think differently. I mean, one of the problems that's coming out of this, I think for, for leaders in, in, in all fields, is that a lot of people are, will have ideas and a lot of people have notions about what we should do and what the, what the organization should do and how we should respond. You know, I think leadership in, in many cases, you know, we're in the business of saying no. You know, we're in the business of saying, no, we need to do that, not this, this, not this, that, right? But but in this environment, you know, I, I think as leaders, we have to realize that you can't really say no. I mean, you, you don't, nobody knows what's the right move or what's the right course. You know, I think we have to take a much more collaborative approach and we can't just dismiss ideas that may seem 
wrong or wacky. I mean, no one knows what the right course is. So, you know, there's a, there's a level of collaboration and, and patience that we'll have to have as well uh, as we go through. So, you know, I think everything about the way that we've run our organizations, I mean, I think we, we have to slowly reconsider. Yeah, that, that so something you said there really, I think, brought up and gave me a flashback to to my days, not only in the Marines, but then also in the NFL, you know, when I was coaching in the NFL, was um, people people always ask me, and I get into debates with guys from other services or from other sports about this all the time, like, what are the traits that, that make up really good leaders? And for me, aside from expertise and empathy, which are, I think, incredibly important, you just can't do your job as a leader without expertise and empathy. You just can't do your job without that those traits, probably. But honesty... And then also the ability to accept what is in front of you and then get to work on solving it. I think of like, uh, have you guys ever seen The Martian? You seen the, the Matt Damon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, that end of that, the end of that, mo- of that whole movie where he talks about, you know, you got to do the math just when you think um, you're going to die. You now have to just sit down. You have to do the math. You have to solve a problem. Then you have to solve the next problem. Then you have to solve the next problem. And if you solve enough problems, then maybe you get to go home, right? And so I, I think that's, that, that to me is like, you know, was I, I watched that movie the other day and it was so refreshing as like a reminder that we have to get to the point where we can accept and then start working and collaborating together and cooperating. Because I think that's another thing, Sam, and I'd love to get your opinion on this is I think another thing is that there's a little bit of a leadership vacuum right now. But when we get back and leaders do present themselves um, and we give them agency to actually go forth and and bring us back from this, it's going to take a tremendous amount of cooperation. And we've lived in a world over the last, you know, two decades where and in sports, like we are, we are competitive by nature. But we're going to have to see leagues, teams all start to work together in order to benefit the overall platform of the platform of the leagues getting back to play um, in order for us to all pull out of this. So how important is it going to be for like, you know, leaders to start not only accepting what's in front of them, but also like cooperating and really starting to work together? Yeah, no, that's really important. I think that point about working and I think I think there are a lot of CEOs that and people in management positions all over business that are thinking, you know, this idea of rivalry is really not helpful at this point. You know, I think there'd be a lot of people that are thinking, how can we, how can we work together? How can we break down those barriers and, and, and work together with, you know, companies that may be competitive to us in, in the same market? Because yeah, there is that, that strength in numbers. And I think that there needs to be a little bit less animosity there, but you know, something you said, I think is super important. It's about just making one decision after another and getting started. You know, Hubert Jolie, who was the, the CEO of Best Buy until very recently, one of the great turnarounds in this country of the last decade. I mean, really took a business that was falling apart and, and turned it into a roaring success. And, you know, his philosophy, I think, is so interesting. I mean, he has his view of leadership is, you know, he likens it to riding a bike. And, and he says, you know, when, you, when you're riding a bike, if you just get on the bike and you try to turn the wheel and try to steer, you know, slowly, it's very difficult. But once you have some momentum, it's a lot easier. So his advice is get started and just make a lot of small decisions that you can easily undo. Don't make any grand plans. Don't, don't have any grand ambitions. Don't decide what the future looks like. Just start making small decisions and and make sure that you have a way to undo them if they don't work. And 
that momentum over time that you build will allow you to steer uh, much more easily and to get everyone going. And that's another part of this, which I think is so important. You know, it's you have to give people work to do. I mean, I think that's something that's underestimated in this crisis. I mean, look, a lot of us are, are frozen and we don't really know what to do. And, you know, there's a temptation to say, look, you know, the marketing department, you know, just just hang on. You know, there's not a lot happening right now, but we'll figure it out You know, when we have a strategy. You have to get people to work. You know, and I think part of being a leader in this in this environment is thinking of ways to keep people busy. I mean, even if you think it's it's not necessarily something that's going to help, I think people need to, to work. And I think by working and building their momentum, I think you start to generate kind of a, a funnel of good ideas and you, and you start to, uh, to see avenues that you didn't see before. The other thing I would say, another piece of it, just practical advice, you know, and, and I've talked to Matt about this. One of my favorite books is a strange book that was written by Ayrton Senna the, uh, about race, race driving, you know, the principles of race driving. Called. It's this weird book that's out of print that is just brilliant. I mean, it was it was written when he was at the height of his powers, and and it's really a management book because you know he not only uh, you know managed a race and managed a car, but you know he really had to manage an entire team and in some ways an entire sport. But he his philosophy, uh, I think, of taking corners is something that every everyone should think about at this point. You know, he he was very fast in general, but when he took corners, he was he was fine to slow down and go slowly through the corner because his philosophy was it's, it's all about your exit speed. It's all about how fast you come onto the straightaway and how fast you're able to accelerate out of the turn. So he's willing to take time and slow down uh, through the through the corner in order to set himself up for the fastest possible exit. And I think that is something that leaders can benefit from right now because don't slow down. You know, once you really get started, you want to you want to move quickly. You know, you want to get going. And now is the time, I think, to be careful. I know there's a lot of pressure, you know, there's pressure from shareholders, investors. There's there's all kinds of pressure to get started. But you really uh, should spend some time kind of deliberately setting yourself up. And, and, and a lot of that, I think, is getting your workforce ready to work remotely and making sure that you've got the systems in place you need that you'll need to maneuver when you're actually functional. And so that idea of, of a fast exit, I think, is is probably a good a good course to follow now. But you know, the main thing that I would get back to is what I've been saying for months, and and what I think you know leaders really need to think about, which is who is management material, you know, and why. And you know, we have in too many cases looked at those people who have those outward characteristics and who want the job and who want to lead and, and are ambitious and have great personal metrics and statistics to back up their their ability. And we keep giving them leadership roles, but those are not necessarily the people who you know who who work. I mean, the people who you want in a, in a time like this are people who have those relationships across your organization and who just put their heads down and work and who are very knowledgeable in their subject area and, you know, have that innate respect you talked about. It's those people like you said in the Marines that emerge during the, the heat of battle and, and people start following them. It's those people. They're there. We just don't see them. They're not shiny and obvious. And I think uh, part of this is going back and doing a forensic examination of what happened during this crisis and who actually did what and really identifying who your leaders actually are and making sure they're your leaders 
and that, and that they don't go back to the shadows. No, that, that's really interesting. We spoke to Mark Shapiro last week, and you know he was he was saying very much the same in terms of it's if you have good people in your organisations, you're going to be ready to to get back to work, and you know those those leaders will come to the fore. So so that's that's really interesting. With the time has flown, Sam. A couple of questions just to just to finish on, and you, you mentioned the book by uh, Ayrton Senna there, which I remember you mentioned to me before. I'm, I'm watching the um, the the F1. Uh, Netflix series Drive to Survive at the moment. Just from your perspective, what's, what's your brain candy at the moment? What are you What are you watching? What are you listening to? Uh, anything kind of tickle your fancy from that from that perspective? Wow, uh, you know, I've been trying to watch just escapist stuff. You know, I've been watching Ozark and you know things that just kind of get my brain off of this crisis a little bit. Um, in terms of the shows I've been watching, I think though I have been. You know, I, I, I've been much more attuned to what's happening in other countries, and that's been really interesting. I would urge everyone to go and look at Singapore and Taiwan and uh, South Korea and the countries that had some experience with pandemics and and how they set about, especially Taiwan, I think is just miraculous. I mean, look, they happen to have this this um, vice president who uh, is an epidemiologist, you know, trained at Johns Hopkins, who's been through SARS and, and a lot of these other epidemics and the system they have in place of the way they've merged all their health and immigration data together and um, the contact tracing they're doing and the proactive approach they took, I thought was, was fascinating. So I, for me, I think in terms of what I'm watching, it's, it's escapism, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I think it's really helpful to read and, and to get out of your lane and, and start looking at the great thing about this crisis is that it's, there's four hundreds of examples of how different people have attacked it differently. And there's so much to learn. In that, I think about about leadership and and about organizational management too. Sam, what's uh, what are some of the things, or maybe it's just one thing? You know, let's 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 end this on a hopeful note. What are some of the things, or maybe just one thing that you think you know should be done, or that hopefully we have when we're back from this uh, this shutdown? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great point. I think, uh, I mean, if there's anything that I that I would hope for, I think it's an appreciation for humility. You know, I, I don't know any other way to say it. I, I think some people don't like the word humility. They think they think it's sort of a, a, a weakness. Modesty maybe is a better word. But um, so much of our culture in the last, I think during this great, you know, kind of period of, of global economic expansion that we've seen, really two of them in a row, you know, just broken up by the, by the crisis in 2009. I, you know, I think we've lost sight. I think there's a, there's an emphasis on, on, uh, being emphatic, being impulsive, being colorful, being uh, charismatic, and I think that's infected everything from politics to to business. And there's a swagger I think that that people have adopted, you know, in the way that they operate large organizations. And we're really we're really forgotten how closely connected we are and how much we depend on each other and how little we can actually take for granted. And I just think, you know, where we can, I think we need to, to reward people who, who express modesty and humility and, and an interest in the well-being of other people. And it sounds simple, but I really hope and, and think that to some extent, that will be one of the benefits of this of this crisis. We can just be a, a much more tolerant, intelligent, less bombastic, and, and outspoken world, and we can start to 
to think a little more about everybody else and less about ourselves. I mean, I, I hope that's the takeaway. No, that's, that's great. Sam, you know, that was, uh, that was brilliant. Um, you know, we've been talking for about 40 minutes here. Um, you know, I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a great perspective that you're bringing because you're bringing a very, you know, global perspective that can drill down into some really great examples of, of kind of where we are and, and where we maybe go from here. Um, so I can't thank you enough. And, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing a beer with you, uh, in New York city. Um, hopefully Isn't it not- so exotic, like sitting down and having a drink. Like it just sounds like it's just sounds like years ago, you know? Oh God. And it sounds so amazing. Like drinking in your house is just not nearly <laughs> drinking at a pub. It's not good. Yeah. We'll look forward to hitting you with uh, one of those in the future, but please stay safe and good luck in the future. Thanks guys. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Steve. Pleasure. I might join you, gents, for that beer. Um, oh, it's always a pleasure. To, always a pleasure to chat to you. Um, stay safe in, in Long Island and, and LA as well. Um, that's it for this episode. But you can find this podcast as well as the others on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. Uh, Sam actually delivered one of his first ever talks at our event in LA, uh, which feels a lifetime ago. After Captain Class was released in t- 2017, and he moderated a session with the ever impressive U.S. Marine General Robert Neller at our event in Atlanta last. Year. Those sessions plus all the others are available at the home of Total High Performance on our performance hub at leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Also, a quick shout out to John Porch, who is doing all the hard graft behind the scenes to pull this podcast together. So, top work, sir. Thank you for that. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking.